Hi, this is Jonathan, host of No Strangers Here on 88.5 FM, Cougar Radio, WCUG. Uh, Today, I wanted to share with you guys uh, some more haiku poetry. I know, I believe, last semester, or maybe the semester before that one, uh, I had read some of Basho's haiku. And today, I wanted to share some more of his haikus, actually. Um, Because as of late, I've noticed in my own poetry, actually, that as much as I enjoy writing longer, more narrative-driven poetry sent around ideals or morals or virtues, I also find there's a certain beauty to the simplicity of a haiku. The beauty being not so much the fact that the poem is simple, but because the poem expresses what may or may not be a very complex idea in a very simplistic way. Um, I often argue with myself and with other poets myself whether it's better to have a poem or a story or a um, an art piece to be complex or to be simple. And that's that's a lot of give and take there. There's a lot of push and pull between those two ideas because you can have something that's very complex, such as Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace or Ulysses by James Joyce and read it and find how amazing and find how beautiful that book and that that story is with the interaction of characters and the different levels of of interpretation that can come along with it. But at the same time, I also find books or poems that have a sort of simplicity to it, such as the works of Kurt Vonnegut or the the poetry of Basho or the poetry of uh, William Carlos Williams. They tend to have a simplistic way of sharing very in-depth, very context-heavy poetry and stories in a way that makes sense, as opposed to something as confusing as Ulysses, or even more so Finnegan's Wake, which is a dream within a dream, and the book starts off halfway in the middle of a sentence and then ends again in that same sentence. So it has this weird kind of circular uh, repetitiveness. it's, It's a lot to explain. It's a lot to go over, and that would require me literally analyzing almost every single word, every single sentence, just to give out what would be a dissertation on Finnegan's Wake, which I'm not about to go into that right now. <laughs> but as I said, there's a certain beauty there to simplicity. Now, the weird thing is, is that there are there is some poetry that is so simplistic to the point where it's mind-numbing. I'm not going to say any names, but there are a few poets I would say that write today that I don't particularly care for. And that isn't to say that they're not good poets, but it's just the poetry for me that they write is just, it doesn't offer me much to analyze and interpret. I I much rather have a poem that's much more meatier and much more convoluted than to have something that's so simple that there's only one way to interpret it. And I don't like to think of poetry as only having one way to interpret it. I don't like to think of literature as only having one way to interpret it. I think one ought to be able to find multiple meanings and multiple interpretations based on multiple forms of evidence. And I think that's the real beauty of poetry and literature is the fact that not all of us read the same poem or read the same book the same way. And we all gather different ideas and accumulate a sort of diverse understanding of what this book or poem may mean. So to celebrate, um, multiple interpretations within poetry that is fairly simple 
yet offers a very complex idea, uh, I wanted to share the work of Basho again. That being said, if you are interested in listening to this episode, I do recommend listening to our previous episode on Basho. Uh, I give more detail as to Basho's origins as a poet, um, his life, and where all he traveled when writing his poetry. So this first one is called A Weathered Skeleton. A weathered skeleton in windy fields of memory, piercing like a nut. So for those who may not be uh, familiar with haikus, they tend to be uh, three-line poems that follow a 575-syllable format, meaning that of those three lines, the first line would be about five syllables long, the second seven, and then the last and third one would be again another five syllables. So we can break that down on observing and interpreting a weathered skeleton. A weathered skeleton. That's technically six, if I'm not mistaken. And the next line is in windy fields of memory. And that one's eight. And then the last one is piercing like a knife. So that one's five. So this one doesn't necessarily follow the exact rules of of a haiku, which is perfectly fine. I often write haikus that don't necessarily follow the rules or guidelines of writing haikus. And it clearly goes to show that the poet Basho didn't either. Um, Even though he's regarded as one of the most influential haiku poets of his time, and in later observations, it shows that he too also broke the rules, which is perfectly fine in my book. I think it's actually encouraged to break the rules a bit when it comes to writing poetry. It offers a lot more. And like I said, this is a fairly simple poem. A weathered skeleton in windy fields of memory, piercing like a knife. So we have the imagery of a withered skeleton. This isn't your just typical dead skeleton that has been in a coffin, decomposing naturally, or uh, this isn't like a skeleton you would see in a medical sense. This is a withered skeleton. This is these bones are very brittle and thin. This skeleton looks malnourished, maybe even smaller. And the skeleton is found in the windy fields of memory. So windy fields of memory. So we can recall back to past thoughts and we can recall back to ideas that we've had in the past. But Basho says our memory is reflective of a windy field or windy fields, excuse me. Windy fields, that sounds turbulent, that sounds confusing, that sounds chaotic in many ways. But it's also not detrimental in the sense of a fire or uh, an explosive. It isn't as though our minds are completely tearing us apart, uh, but our memory is very convoluted, very confusing, but also at the same time pleasant. Which I I think that's very true in many ways, that there are many times when we don't recall or remember everything that we have said or done, and those many times can feel confusing, but it isn't like we're ripping our hair out. (laughs) So, a withered skeleton in windy fields of memory. So, the withered skeleton here represents an idea or a past thought that is placed within the windy fields of memory. This is a 
a brittle memory. This is a malnourished memory. This is a dead memory. Somewhere in our past, as in the as the speaker. Piercing like a knife. A withered skeleton in the windy fields of memory. Piercing like a knife. So this this memory is old and brittle and perhaps even almost nearly forgotten because of how old it is. And it's in that turbulent, strange sense of being in a windy field within our memories. But it still has potency because it pierces us like a knife. When we think back to that vague idea, that vague memory, it still pierces at us like a knife. And again, this is, like I said, a fairly simple poem, but that offers so much to think about. That That's brilliant that Bachot was able to convey such a surreal and strange emotion that many of us have felt, but he was able to explain it well and did it in such a simple way that makes it easy to comprehend. And that's one of the reasons why I love haikus, because of how much goes into how much goes in into such little words and little lines. So the next uh, haiku I have here is called a cicada shell. A cicada shell. It sang itself utterly away. It's a really, really small haiku, actually. So again, looking back to the 575 guideline, uh, a cicada shell. So that's five. It sang itself away. It sank itself. That one's four. And then the last line is utterly away. So this one is a five, four, five. So actually this is perhaps even almost like a challenge for Basho when he wrote this. Typically you see a lot of haikus that do follow that five, seven, five rule. And yes, we have plenty of poems out there in the world of haikus that break those rules. And this being another one of much like the previous one. But this one seems almost like a challenge as the Bachot is trying to convey this idea in an even more simplistic way. Instead of doing the 575 rule, he wanted to break it down to the 545. And so, rereading this, a cicada shell. So this isn't just a live cicada, this is the shell of a cicada. So this could possibly be where a cicada has since died. Or perhaps the cicada had removed its shell in the same way like how a snake removes its skin. It sheds the shell. It sheds the skin. It sang itself utterly away. So a cicada shell, when we think about that, a shell, what does a shell mean? What What does a shell mean in the context of what we know as people? Well, a shell is what we think of as being once what once was a lesser form of our previous selves. Some of us remove our shells and grow and flourish and many times change. A shell could be seen as being protective, as being a way to hide ourselves away. But this particular shell, the cicada shell, it sang itself utterly away. So this may be a poem about growing, about changing, about moving on, 
much like the cicada, we must let our former selves, we must let our former shells be sung utterly away. Now, to sing, sang, or sung, in this case, sang, is a much more happier, much more lighter tone. When we sing or when people have sung a song, it's in, usually in a happy, jovial, light context. And so to sing or to have the shell sang itself utterly away lets me think of perhaps the shell is the accumulation of all the bad things that may have happened. All the negative things, all the terrible things. And that it has constructed itself, it has composed a, a shell. And now the shell has been removed. And all those negative thoughts, all those bad moments we've had, sing themselves away. They, they just move on because we have moved on. We've left those shells in the past. And we've grown and flourished and changed in a more progressive, a more aimed towards the future way. So for my last poem here of that shows that I'm going to read, it is called A Monk Sips Morning Tea. A monk sips morning tea. It's quiet. The crystal of mum flowers. So a monk sips morning tea. It's morning, early to rise. A monk is a symbol of peaceful learning, acceptance. And so this this image of a monk is, well, sipping tea in the morning. Simple as that. And the morning itself, it's quiet. While the flower, the chrysanthemum, is, well, flowering. (laughs) In a sense of of blooming, growing. opening up to the sun. And again, this is just another haiku of Bachot's, who is regarded in many ways as being a masterful poet when it comes to writing haikus. He doesn't follow that 575 rule. He breaks it yet again. And so we have the imagery of a monk, someone who studies for a living, someone who lives by a peaceful, almost loving way. And in his morning, he's drinking tea, and all is quiet, while these flowers bloom and grow all around him. So this is a very peaceful poem. This is a very down-to-earth kind of poem. This isn't whimsical. This isn't um, sad. This isn't an expression of anger. This is a very peaceful, very quiet poem of a peaceful man drinking tea and enjoying his morning. (laughs) But when we think about this monk in relation to ourselves, I think it'd be fair to say that many of us might envy the monk (laughs) in the sense that he is leaving an impression on the world that is peaceful. While many of us, you know, deal with stress and anxiety and we desire peace, I think this poem shouldn't be where we envy the monk, but rather where we should aim to be like him. 
we ought to learn to enjoy our mornings when they're quiet. We ought to learn to enjoy drinking tea. And in those quiet moments, we ought to observe what goes around us. Much like how this monk observes, or at least the speaker observes, that the flowers are growing all around this monk. So when you have those moments of peacefulness, of happiness, take a moment and stop and realize what's going on around you. See the beauty that's growing in people, in nature. See where you are all within it. And you might be surprised of just how meaningful it all might be. I hope this has been a very relaxing episode. And in our next episode, I hope to read one of my own poems that has to do with peace. If you're interested in my show, again, I highly recommend him. There are dozens of poets out there who still write haikus, and there are dozens of classically trained poets uh, far back in history who wrote haikus as well. Uh, I just used Basho for this episode and last episode in the past because I find Basho to be a, a very large inspiration of mine. And he was also very impressionable on other writers who I enjoy, such as Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg. They both uh, look to Bachot for guidance, for answers when it came to writing, when it came to living in many different ways. I hope this episode has been very peaceful and very kind to you, and I hope you all are having a wonderful day. This has been your host, Jonathan, of No Strangers Here. Thank you to Columbus State's Comm Department for the space and equipment provided for the show. Thank you to Dr. Gibson, the department chair. Thank you to Dr. Getz, WCUG's faculty advisor. Uh, you can listen to this show on 88.5 FM Cougar Radio, TuneIn, or SoundCloud. Thank you for listening.